0: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Welcome to the New Books Network.
2: I'm Chris Holmes, and this is Burned by Books. Here you'll find interviews with writers you already love, like Jennifer Egan and Rebecca Mackay, mixed in with up-and-coming voices like Alexandra Kleeman and Rahman Alam. You'll find us wherever you listen to podcasts, but check out previous episodes at burnedbybooks.com and on Instagram and Twitter at burnedbybooks. Let's start the show. In Amy Fusselman's hilarious send-up of privilege, The Means, the list of must-haves for Shelley Means Beach House begins with a Japanese toilet. Her life to this point has been or at least should have been, leading to a beach house with said toilet and a sense of trajectory and satisfaction with all the means to acquire a life of ease and pleasure. But there are some small hurdles standing in Shelley's way. Her husband George, genial if eccentric and thrift shop obsessed, can't seem to land any more jobs as a voice actor. His dulcet tones once in demand now keep getting flummoxed by the side effect warnings for drug adverts and the hidden irony layered into fast food commercials. Without a regular income, Shelley and George's small windfall from selling a raccoon-infested lake house is disappearing rapidly. The house itself begins in glamour and moves steadily toward the absurd. The architect Marianne has assured them that she can produce produce the house of their dreams on a budget. The one minor issue is it will have to be built of metal shipping containers stacked to resemble something between a trailer home and a microwave. George isn't the only one disappointed by this news. The neighborhood association has no interest in a stack of metal containers marring their beach view. Not to mention the fact that Shelley keeps chucking things at people when they aren't pleased with her ideas for a happy life. Such are the dilemmas for the downwardly mobile rich in Amy Fusselman's tale of real estate insanity, PTA bullying, talking dogs, and a family struggling just to be at ease. Written with layers of thick irony, thick and luscious as a Hampton's wedding cake, the means leaves no absurdity of privilege unprobed. We are both absorbed into Shelley's odyssey of real estate calamity, while being equally repelled by the claustrophobia of the tiny social and economic world in which she exists. This is a novel that serves up a good deal of painful introspection with its laughter, never failing to place the reader inside that insular, navel-gazing world. Amy is the author of four nonfiction books, Idiophone, Savage Park, A Meditation on Play, Space, and Risk for Americans who are nervous, distracted, and afraid to die, Eight, and The Pharmacist's Mate. She teaches creative writing at NYU. Welcome to the show, Amy Fusselman.
0: Thanks so much for having me, Chris.
2: It's really lovely to have you. Uh, this is the kind of book in which one spends a lot of time rereading sections aloud to spouses, partners, friends, people on the street, because it's so funny and so unbelievably sharp and cutting. Could I uh, ask you to read just a little bit? It's a short section in which Shelley describes her conflicted relationship with one of the family dogs, Twix. Would you read that for us? Sure. Thank you. Twix is a
0: teddy bear breed, which is a mix of Shih Tzu and Bichon. My guess is the breeders called it a teddy bear because they couldn't very well sell her as a Shih tzu. I always thought that if I ever got a dog after Julie, it would look like Snowy from Tintin. It would be a heroic acting dog with its ears always pointing up because it was always listening for crime. The dog my kids chose, however, is like a light brownish cloud that changes size and shape depending on how the wind is blowing when you look at her. Plus, her ears are not pointy at all. They're little folded over flaps that are always askew. So one is always flopped over the top of her head and you can seemingly see straight into her brain, which I find disturbing." (laughs) worse, she doesn't give a shits on about crime. She spends her day lying on our sheepskin rug, and she treats it like a giant piece of sheep jerky, which I guess it is. She lies around on that thing all day and munches it with her ears awry and her brain holes distressingly exposed, like her entire head is a manila envelope that won't seal that warns you visually, don't put anything important in me. My kids named her Twix after the candy, which was also disappointing because I wanted to give her an authoritative name, like Surgeon General. George wanted to name her Mother Teresa because he has what I call a Mother Teresa fixation. George went to Bible summer camp when he was a kid and was also forced to go to church on Sundays. And even though we don't do that now as a family, he still thinks Mother Teresa is cool. And yes, he knows all that stuff that came out about her being a vulture who used the poor for her own ends. And yes, he also read Christopher Hitchens critique on her, but he is still a fan. I know better than to argue at this point. I just thank God that when we had our family fight about what to name our dog, our kids won.
2: Thank you so much. I love Shelley's deadpan narrative voice. Did that come to you immediately? Was that part of the genesis of the novel, was uh, Shelley's voice?
0: Well, I did want to write something that was voice-driven because I love that type of work so much myself. And I had been trying to figure out how I was going to Uh, find the right voice for this because I wanted to talk about money and I wanted a narrator who was not, who was sort of difficult to locate in terms of her own wealth. Mm -hmm. She's, you know, she's rich, but she's not the type of rich that you often see in fiction, like hyper rich, like billionaire flying in planes, rich, like she's poor rich if that in her little world, she's poor rich. So um I was having trouble finding her voice and then I uh, I was writing a couple pieces for The Washington Post. and I wrote one about discovering that my Scrabble partner was a robot. And <laughs> when I wrote that piece, it I realized that the type of unknowing narrator was what I was what I wanted for Shelley. So that helped me find her kind of bitchy, bitchy, blinded perspective.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's such a great description. And also, I, okay, I, I need to understand a little bit more about the the Scrabble robot. Can you just give us <laughs> a brief gloss of that? Because I'm going to be yes. thinking about it the whole time yeah. if I don't know uh, more.
0: <laughs> yes. Well, I, I, I have studiously resisted playing phone games. I mean, I'm not virtuous, but I just was, tr- you know, trying to manage my... <laughs> distraction like everyone and during the pandemic i just was you know like okay i will try this word game and um of course rapidly it got out of hand and i i was suddenly fixated on this partner robert e (laughs) robert (laughs) e became (laughs) my children became we all knew robert e because he was (laughs) like just kicking my ass in scrabble <laughs> and the rare times that i would beat him it was like a you know like a family fest and um but i finally noticed that robert e i had because i had the settings on where you would get a little notification when he you know had made a move and Robert E. did not sleep. I was finally <laughs> noticing. And I was, I mentioned this, you know, to one of my sons finally, who was like, Mom, like, what? He's a robot. You know, what are you talking <laughs> about? And, and suddenly this light bulb went on, like, what? You know, this whole, and I realized this whole, you know, fantasy I'd made of my pandemic friend was like, you know, just cr- crashed around me. And that that became sort of the genesis for the column.
2: I love that, and I love that that in some way is inflected (laughs) in Shelley's voice. Um, And your description of a kind of poor, rich it it just makes me think of that there are so many people living in manhattan with such extraordinary privileges who likely consider themselves sort of poor or at least teetering on an on an economic precarity do you think that's a new york thing or a global large expensive city thing
0: well i think it's like more of like a human thing in the sense that we're always or I think it's really difficult to not it's a human thing to want to locate yourself in a context where am I compared to x and y you know that mm-hmm. sort of how, where do I fall and it's so you know in a metropolis like New York City there's you know even the billionaires there's more billionaires you know there's always someone who's who's looks like they're you know Doing it better, have more, et cetera, et cetera, and just because the baseline of wealth here, I guess, is or in New York is there's more people who have more money. It's more distorted,
2: yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And and if you're all you're left with at the top is Elon Musk, then <laughs> assuredly we shouldn't be aiming for that <laughs> that <Right>. peak. <laughs> but even um,
0: yeah, and Elon and Jack Dorsey have their rivalry, you know, mm-hmm. and Jeff, and you know, yeah, it's.
2: That's true. Um, The the title, The Means, is both the family name and also a wonderfully loaded term in the novel. I found myself returning to it again and again while reading and thinking about the various ways in which means means. It certainly uh, connotes wealth, having the Mm -hmm. means to afford something like a beach house, but it also signifies the method for doing something, mm-hmm. the means by which something is accomplished. Why was it the winning title for you? And 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 what do you like about its various playful connotations?
0: Oh yeah, you've definitely hit on um, the pleasure of it. I mean, I just like that it contained. I wanted a money a, a money related word. I was and I was. I had finally decided that I wanted to try to name the family and have this money related word combined so i was um going through different types of words i can't remember that would make a great list right now what the also rands were but i can't remember them (laughs) um but the means just seemed right in terms of being a a common name and also you know because you know for me like you know the book is about the suffering inherent in desire capitalist delusion discrimination against women racism and a beach house in the hamptons you know <laughs> and it's funny so it i needed a word that was broad that was but that would ultimately get back to the idea of 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 the how it's it's really about the how of mm. money making and money spending and how we live really
2: this is probably a silly question, given that you teach at NYU, but um, have you read Zadie Smith's remarkable essay, Find Your Beach?
0: Ooh, I haven't. I would love to read that.
2: Oh, you'll, you will love it so much. Um, it is uh, a an amazing critique of the idea of a beach as a certain kind of signifier for people who are privileged for something that they don't have, but that they deserve. And I oh. just felt it just resonating so. Much in your uh, in your novel, you have to next time Zadie is on campus, g- try and grab her and and hand her your book because she'll love it so much. But uh, I what that made me think of is that this this kind of like human quality in which we have blinders about our privilege and those blinders allow us to focus on things that are often so, um, meaningless ultimately. And I wondered if you were thinking about Shelley as, as being a a really great enactor of those blinders.
0: Yes, absolutely. That's a great way of putting it. I mean, I feel too, that, um, you know, that this type of examination is a little different for me and, and, why you know the book is fiction just uh, in the sense that my last things my previous books have been more psychological and I knew in wanting to write about money that it was going to be more sociological so it needed to be um, it needed to be fiction and it I mean in my view like art you know for me is the, the purpose of, of it is the joy of it is is seeing things differently and helping you know, wanting readers to share that with you, you know, wanting to show how you're viewing things differently. And it's, I'm, I mean, I still feel, you know, art is like a drug in that way. Like, I'm looking for someone to change my perception. Like, I love mm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to be in someone's illuminated vision. And I. I want to see, I want to see that. So this the, as, as I was, you know, deeper in the writing, like the more Shelley became kind of really tunnel visioned on this goal of hers, like the, the better I felt the work was working in terms of her, um, you know, being unseeing, but revealing all the time, really.
2: Hmm. Yeah, and uh, that that focus then gets sort of pinpointed down into that Japanese toilet, which I just thought exactly. was a, a brilliant material object for you to have her fixate on. You know, I, I used to live in Japan. Japanese mm. toilets are amazing, but I wonder why it was that that you picked for um for Shelley's fetish item.
0: Well. I love, I mean, just as you said, like as an object, they're incredible. I mean, they're just incredible. Like the rainbow lights, music, they're just, they're magic. They're, (laughs) they are, they're. They
2: talk to you, keep you company. They (laughs)
0: sing. I mean, really? Yeah. But the idea that um, I knew from the beginning that Shelly was going to have a relationship with this dog and so that she would spend a lot of time, you know, it would be clear that she's a dog owner and that she walks this dog and being a New Yorker, you know, she's picking up poop with the plastic bag. Mm-hmm. And and so for her fantasy to be, you know, related to this sort of disco toilet um, didn't seem like too much of a stretch, you know, to have someone... To have this object like care for her for her poop, you
2: know like in oh a my way goodness. Like, oh that's amazing.
0: you know, yeah, it's like that seemed like a like a fantasy that would be
2: um valid. That parallelism, I, I I didn't catch, but now just illuminates it entirely for me. <laughs> the fact that the toilet would be the do- her dog walker, right? Um, yeah. I, I love that and take care of her her waste, mm-hmm. and I, and I don't think it spoils too much for me to reveal that a a certain point in the the novel Twix and Chili have a dialogue, no. and it's a dialogue about economic inequality. And -hmm. and Twix is an admonisher of Shelley to give away wealth. And it's not entirely, I mean, maybe I'm just being a bad reader, but it's not entirely clear that this is a hallucination. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I'm leaning towards yes, but there's a world in which that this is a close enough relationship that she's having some kind of real dialogue here. Mm -hmm. Why did you want this really important conversation that nobody else seems to really want to have about economic (laughs) inequality to To exist in this relationship?
0: Well, I felt that, I mean, part of the pleasure of the book for me was thinking about like, what would it look like if we were aware all the time in the landscape of what's going on? You know, like, what if my, if I could see, you know, if I could. If you knew, I mean, I feel this way myself, like if I were aware, if I, you know, all the time, every second of the history of the inequality, of the violence, of the, you know, of what's going on in the landscape, like I would collapse, that would be, (laughs) that would be an appropriate response, you know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So there's a certain amount of shutdown that has to happen in order to participate in the system that we're in. And you know, which is another violence, but like the pleasure and the, you know, for me, the beauty of art is to be able to uh, like illuminate the things that we don't want to look at. I mean, I I would say that this book is in line with the, my interests, like all along in the sense that those, I like those things. So the, this is a long answer to your question, but in the world of Shelley, um, nobody is really able to Say the difficult things that part that's part of what keeps the the whole thing humming and I think that's a common you know th- as much as I know it we're we're trying it's it's just it's it's hard to say stuff in uh, in in human life I think so twix her relationship with the dog was a natural he it was natural for the dog to be the moral center of the book because the dog was the only one who had the space from you know, human beings to see them clearly.
2: Mm. That's so nicely said. I do, I do agree so much that if one really takes it all on, you there's the the sense that you might just crawl into a hole or curl up into a ball. And so offsetting the conversation in a way that is surreal allows a, a kind of different truth-telling, I think.
0: Right. And especially because Twix is You know, both a ridiculous name, and she's like a little sort of muddy dog, and (laughs) and I honestly, I mean, dog ownership is so complex, and the things that people project onto their dogs are insane. (laughs) Like already, (laughs) so and I say that as a dog owner, I'm fully like. <laughs> but but yeah, I just thought that was because everybody is you know baby talking their dog and then wants their dog to say I love you and blah blah blah. And I just thought it would be funny to have the dog be like, you know, <laughs> you should really give all your money away. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and and to put it in terms that are you know uh, almost like kind of Peter Singer, um, you know, the philosophy uh, that if if you have the base amount that you need to exist and and survive, then you right. should probably. probably. Probably give give the rest away.
0: Right. Yeah. Don't spend it on dog
2: costumes. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Give that stuff away, (laughs) Shelley. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Um, So you you love to let your readers just bathe in irony. Uh, One of the most remarkable elements in the means is that Shelley's Beach House will be constructed out of shipping containers. These are the vessels that transport much of the world's material goods, and a few of them are emptied out and sold in order that Shelley's family can then live within them. Obviously, there's a lot going on in that metaphor, but will you talk us through what was compelling about housing them in the containers that allow capitalism to travel globally?
0: Yes, yeah. I mean, um, the shipping container was fabulous as an image. And I was aware, like during the time I was writing, it was, you know, there were I feel like we haven't had a major one in a while now, but it was that like a year period where there were frequently these harrowing stories of migrants, you know, dying in, in trucks. Mm -hmm. And, um, Mm -hmm. so the shipping container, you know, is a, is a horrific image in some ways. And, um, I, but I know about this because I myself, have a beach house in the Hamptons made out of shipping containers. So I definitely get out
2: of here. I didn't, yes. I should have researched that, but I didn't.
0: Well, <laughs> I mean, not everybody comes, you know, will put that forward, but like when they write fiction, but I feel like this, you know, it's, an it's something I know about. I know about the construction of a home out of containers. So I could use that um, knowledge to, you know, write. So, The fact that it was um, an amazing image, I mean, was part of the pleasure also.
1: I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including calorie-smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. These are two-minute meals... Factor meals are ready to eat and heat so there's no prepping, cooking or cleanup needed.
2: meals.com slash NBN50 to get 50% off. Do you feel the resonance of, of a little bit of that sort of sorrow and... And and horror, even in your own house. Then, do you because you you have a really you know you have a rich sense of its meaning as a thing. I I was thinking the whole time of season two of The Wire, which begins mm-hmm. with that terrible you know multiple death of prostitutes who have been kidnapped and and put in shipping containers. Is that does does yeah. that resonate with you, or are you able to sort of like push it well, out?
0: Well, I mean it's complicated. I feel like that's part of the, I mean, Shelley's experience was not my experience, but I mean, obviously <laughs> my dog sadly does not talk to me about, a, you know, charitable giving, but, um, I mean when people in the Hamptons are up in arms about, or any, I mean, housing associations in general across the board, I think you could, there's no better, um, skewer worthy, you know, Uh, assemblage of people usually than a housing association
1: Mm
2: -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. what I mean
0: absolutely yeah it just people lose their minds so nowhere though in um the you know the pushback to Shelley's situation is the fact that shipping containers are you know vehicles of death like Mm -hmm. the the push I mean I'm laughing that's a whole you know because that it's a horror it's a dark laugh shipping containers are not desired because like they don't have shingles on them and in the hamptons like shingles are really like the optimum <laughs> you know but like that's what we're going for is a sort of like weird fit like shelly describes this like fake barn you know it's like a mm-hmm. falling down barn with like every possible technological advancement you know like business grade internet and like wolf like restaurant quality kitchens and stuff in a falling down <laughs> barn like that's what they want they don't <laughs> they, they don't want stuff that looks like you know metal legos and the fact that it's also you know like has this darker underbelly is like not even part of the conversation.
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm well now you know uh, the the amazingness of both your your robot scrabble partner and your shipping container house will require me to reread the novel uh, oh, with well... those in mind <laughs> but i wanted to talk for a second you mentioned before you know the power of art for you to change your perspective and mm-hmm. art comes in in the broadest possible sense of the word in in multiple different places in the novel and often in Quite a critical view. I'm thinking of uh, Walter, the painter, who's absorbed in a kind of quasi Andy Warhol project in which he paints stacks of cash into various backgrounds. Um, but then there's also the sort of These um, writing projects about how to change your mentality so that you can open yourself to becoming wealthy, as if that was all that was required of us—is that we just have (laughs) a a kind of long, deep Zen moment and then allow the wealth to just sort of you know shoot, yeah, yeah, fall, (laughs) fall in the sky,
0: fall in our heads, exactly.
2: (laughs) Those are two very different um, senses of how art engages with capital, and I just wanted you to talk a little bit about them um, and how they came into the novel
0: mm. yes um, well um, this i mean i'm having lots of factoids with this in this convo conversation but walter is actually a cameo it's my friend walter robinson who's an amazing painter and who actually does paint stacks of cash and other pop uh poppy images oh, but amazing. i met well yeah he i mean anyone he has a fantastic instagram as walter robinson studio and um frequently he talks about prices of art like he's an excellent uh observer of the market and i re- i met walter when i was working at art news magazine in this uh little project Product They had called Art Newsletter, which was essentially a biweekly newsletter about the art market. And I met Walter, who at that time was editing Artnet in the auction rooms at Sotheby's and Christie's, which is if I get to write a sequel of this book, like believe me, it will have a major auction scene because there's Mm. no better like art money. There's no better money theater than a Sotheby's art auction.
2: Oh, I can only imagine.
0: It's bananas. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I guess, you know, Walter's comments in the book about, his comments about art are like, are rye because he's a rye guy. But also, you know that art is art is a commodity like anything else I mean I think especially because publishing pays so garbage and um you know we th- we think frequently of you know that it's sacred and it has you know it's not like a, a it's not like a kind bar no it's a you know it's a sacred vessel or whatever and like well, actually, you know it's a widget that's twenty eight dollars. Do you know what I mean like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I want, I, for for Shelley at least, I wanted to place it within that I wanted to place it within that realm and Shelley and Walter in the book met at the bookstore, so yeah,
2: oh that's that's interesting that that connection and I love a cameo in a, in a novel that that's fantastic Walter got a
0: cameo, yeah.
2: Um, and what about the this sort of how-to guides for becoming wealthy? Because I think that you know you don't really deal with the necessarily with the kind of the evangelical drive for mm-hmm. for wealth that sort of come to the fore again as it that does and bubbles up from era to era. Um, but right. there's a sense of a kind of religious drive to open oneself philosophically mm-hmm. and mentally to wealth. And I wonder what you think of it and and how um, you wanted to engage with it in, in the means.
0: Well, I, I know. Yeah, that's going... Like, is there a better like rap name than Creflo Dollar? Like, I love <laughs> all those... I mean, I'm fascinated by all that stuff. Yeah, I love it. I mean the the wealth, um, the wealth churches, like the wealth preachers, and then the bad behavior. You know, of they're all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, oh my God, I love. I mean, I love it. It, I love it as material. I don't obviously like it's horrific, but yeah. The thing about Shelley is that Shelley, because of what I wanted her to do, like her. You can from the beginning. She's she just is sort of like, yeah, I'm not. You know, she doesn't really chase money. She's not in. You know, she's in what I think of as a kind of shadow economy as a as a housewife. You know, she's not a legit. She doesn't have a le- legit job. She's like, I'm. I like to read. You know, I'm an English major. Writing was too hard, and um, I'm just not participating in that garbage. I mean, she's kind of. In my mind, she's sort of like stuck in adolescence a little bit, you know, she's kind of like screw that I'm gonna walk my dog and dream about my Japanese toilet so. Maybe if there's a book too, she can just go bananas and join like a money church. That would be sort of fun.
2: Yeah, I think um, you know, <laughs> money church me- meets Sotheby's uh, auction. I think you've got exactly. you've got the sequel already written.
0: <laughs> it writes itself when I chat with you, Chris. It <laughs> <was good.
2: laughs> well, I'll be excited for the for the sequel. Um, before I let you go, I dying to know what you've been reading recently and really loving that you'd like to recommend to our listeners
0: oh sure um, there's a new book out from fern books called papers by violaine Schwartz it's translated by Christine Gutman that's a beautiful nonfiction uh, I, I guess I'd call it an essay about um, migrant migrant life in and uh i just found it really moving and um brilliantly composed mm-hmm. um i also loved this book that i read called cleave by holly paleski that was put out by autofocus lit cleave c-l-e-a-v-e that that's a a memoir about this woman who's um giving her daughter up for adoption was really moving and well done i'm a big fan of the comedian this isn't a book per se but like Sheng wang has this special on netflix called sweet and juicy mm, and um, i don't know it he's a performer he just has a super great low-key vibe it's just he's very engaging um and kind of and different his voice is really different and and warm in a way that i really enjoyed
2: Oh, I'm super excited to have a, a comedy special to, to dig into <laughs> as well. That's, that's yes. wonderful.
0: Yeah, yeah. The, those are, that's what I've been thinking about lately.
2: Those are great and so varied. Um, Amy, it was really wonderful to talk with you. I just so enjoyed The Means and I can't recommend it enough. And I'm already going to recommend the sequel whenever that comes out. <laughs> uh, so thanks Gosh. for talking with me, Amy.
0: Thank you so much, Chris. I really enjoyed it.
2: Well, that's all from me for now. My thanks to the hilarious Amy Fusselman for such a great interview. You can find links to order the means and all of Amy's recommendations at our website, burnedbybooks.com. There you'll find all of our previous episodes and book recommendations. Stay tuned for episodes with Ursula Villarreal Mora and Meg Howery. Until then, this has been Burned by Books.